Hi friends, jumping on before the start of the episode to ask for your help. Since I started this podcast four years ago, I have been dreaming of a place for us to gather, a place where we can practice some of the things that are shared here on the podcast, a place where you and I can meet gaze to gaze, heart to heart, and a place where we can share our experiences of enriching our lives through the wisdom of the body and expanding our pleasure through the wonder of the senses. I would love to hear your voice and your vision in writing this next chapter of Come to Your Senses. Go to schoolofsensualliving.com slash survey to contribute your ideas, give your feedback on which topics you burn with the most passion to hear about, and let's create a beautiful sanctuary together. Schoolofsensualliving.com slash survey. I will see you there. Welcome to Come to Your Senses, the School of Sensual Living Podcast. I'm your host, embodiment-based coach, Mary Lofgren. Here, we explore how to live bravely and beautifully through topics like pleasure, beauty, embodiment, femininity, art, somatic healing, mindfulness, and of course, everyday sensuality. everyone and welcome back to Come to Your Senses. So I wonder if you've ever had the experience of being really nervous about something, some change. Maybe it's a confrontation or an interview or a move and you play all these scenarios out in your head about how you're going to fail or how it's going to be terrible or how you're making a mistake. And then you have the experience and it goes better than you could have imagined. And you say to yourself, what was I so afraid of? And when you look back on the experience, you may feel a bit of regret that you got yourself so worked up. And this is a great example of the conditioned as well as biological condition of something that we call negativity bias. And what I'm going to share with you today is why we have negativity bias, why sometimes we're so geared toward what's going to go wrong and what we have to be afraid of and how there's a very real biological component. It's often not that you haven't done enough work on yourself or liberated yourself enough, there's there's something else going on beneath the surface that has to do with your body and your nervous system. And so we'll create a bit more self-compassion and understanding around it as we explore that component, as well as the cultural component of always gearing us towards negativity. And then we're going to talk about how to begin to gently shift this bias towards what might go wrong and point that arrow of direction towards a pleasure bias. In other words, what might go right? What would be the best, highest possible outcome? What if there are opportunities waiting around every corner as I proceed with this change? 
so that you will feel more resilient, more courageous, and more available to your wisdom, your brilliance, and the opportunities at your fingertips because your vision has been cleared to look for them. And one of the things that you'll learn in this episode, like I talk about in every single episode of this podcast, because it's really the basis of my work, is that when it comes to creating lasting, sustainable, transformative change, the mind is a wonderful ally in that process. But it is not our only tool. There is an unlimited field of resources and intelligence when we're able to safely and skillfully access the wisdom of the body. And I just sent out an email to my subscribers this week with a special invitation for a free 45-minute one-on-one with me. And I wanted to extend it to my podcast listeners too. And I'll just start by telling you a story, which is that recently I was working on a creative project. And despite my rainbow sharpies, despite working it from every single angle, I just couldn't get there. I just felt like I was staring straight into a cloud of mist. And so finally, I did the last thing that I wanted to do, which is I stopped and paused And I just surrendered to the fact that my usual methods weren't working and I got on my yoga mat. And I turned on this beautiful piano music and I just asked my body to please lead me. And I offered the vision of what I was working on being completed and successful and asked my body to show me the way. And just like happens every time I access this different deeper system of intelligence that you have as well. As soon as my eyes closed and my internal senses turned on, it was like visiting with a therapist and a fortune teller and a business coach all at the same time. And it didn't give me laser clarity in the moment, but what it gave me is an opening in my body, which created new thoughts in my mind So that then when I went back to sit down with the Sharpies, the creativity flowed abundantly. And if you've ever had an experience like this, where you have a situation that your mind has pulverized to a powder, or if there's a certain area of your life that you feel stuck in and you desire change so bad, and yet you feel like you're walking in circles, Or there's a part of your life where you desire change and you feel like you can't even take a step to walk in circles and you find yourself just avoiding it. I have something that I know can really help. So over the next two weeks, I've opened spots in my calendar for 15 people who would like to receive a free 45-minute embodied intelligence audit. And this is where we do a deep dive into the different areas of your life where you may feel free and open, where you may feel stuck and struggling, and through a specific embodiment process, help to source the wisdom and clarity and truth in your body in how to create forward motion that feels joyful and easeful and fun. There are a few requirements to book one of these sessions, some of which include that you desire a deep, sustainable experience of change, 
not just a quick fix. You want your actions to have greater impact with less effort. You feel tired of superficial connections and people-pleasing, and you want to show up in your relationships more authentically and more openly as who you really are. You want to start living less from the worried chatter in your mind and more from a fully empowered, deeply embodied self. You desire to be led to your own answers and are not looking for someone to tell you what to do. And finally, you understand the value of investing in yourself and would be open to investing in coaching that feels useful, empowering, and result-oriented. So if your body is ringing a yes to some or most of those questions, I invite you to head over to schoolofsensualliving.com session. There are 15 spots available for these, and they are first come, first serve. So head over to schoolofsensualliving.com session today. The art of having pleasure bias. So in Koya, which is a movement class that I'm a huge fan of and teacher of, one of the things that we do is we do this thing called shadow dance, which is where we take the theme for the class, which might be things like abundance or joy or love. And in the shadow dance, we explore its opposite. Because one of the best ways to learn about something sometimes is to study its opposite. So if the theme is abundance, in the shadow dance, we explore the feeling of scarcity. If the theme is love, we explore the feeling of what it's like when you can't access love inside your being. And so where I'd like to start today is by sharing with you a little bit about negativity bias so that you can have a better understanding of what's really going on in your system and also a better ability to spot it when it's happening. So negativity bias is a concept that was first documented by psychologists Paul Rosen and Edward Roisman in 2001. And it's this idea that across most domains of life, we are preternaturally pessimistic. So in other words, more concerned and geared towards the negative stimuli than towards positive stimuli. Good example of this is if you've ever posted something on social media and you get 20 great comments, love this, you're amazing, and then you get one negative comment, all you can think about is that negative comment. And how it shows up in our day-to-day life is that when this negativity bias is first of all, pre-existing within the body as a safety mechanism, but secondly, reinforced by a culture that profits off of your scarcity and fear, how that shows up in your everyday is constantly having this periscope of an eye that's roving and scanning for danger. And so if you've ever kissed your kids goodnight, and suddenly had the thought, what if they die? (laughs) Not to be morbid, but I think about this all the time with my dog, Winnie. I look at her and I feel these intense, vulnerable, tender feelings of love and care. 
And simultaneously, there's this awareness that she will most likely die before I do, and someday I'll have to live without her. And that's just one small example of one of the ways negativity bias can present. Some other ways are just moving through life with this general sense of what could go wrong. And of course, the consequence of that is that we take less risks and we tend to show up in life less authentically, less relaxed, because we're more focused on protection. And something I find really interesting about negativity bias is, once again, that this is not just a cultural phenomenon, but it is a biological phenomenon. And so if we think about our system and our nervous system and its rate of evolution, our mind and our world and our systems of protection have evolved at tens of thousands of times the pace of that of our body-mind connection. And so on a primal level, if you were a human who slept in a cave, there would be a certain percentage of your system that would be taken up roving for danger and staying in a state of vigilance about any potential threats, sounds, invaders, etc. And again, because that evolution process is not matched up between body and mind and body and civilization, our minds can comprehend locks on the door and can give us a certain level of peace at night. But to our body, when you hear a noise of the house settling or something like that, there's an impulsive reaction. And that safety mechanism is certainly not something that we want to get rid of. But what we do want to begin to reorient is the part of us that stays in a state of vigilance, whether there is an actual threat or simply a perceived threat, so that that energy and that attention can be pointed more in the direction of what lights us up and what brings us a sense of fulfillment and what brings us a sense of bravery in the ability to move through our life with confidence. And so if I could share with you a little velvet pouch that's full of crystals and jewels, and those jewels are the most beautiful and liberating pieces of wisdom that I've collected on my journey about how to shift this negativity bias more in the direction of what brings me pleasure and possibility. There are four jewels that I would share with you. The first is to notice what kind of questions am I asking myself? And so the mind, as we know, is always looking to serve you and to bring you what it is that you're thinking about and where your attention is directed. And so if the questions you are asking yourself are, how did I screw up? What could go wrong? Who's going to criticize this? A really simple way to begin to shift the direction of that neural pathway is to change the question so that your mind starts seeking different answers. So some questions you could ask yourself is, what have I done really, really well today? If you're going through a transition or a period of change, what gets me most excited about this change? What is possible for my life if I fully step forward 
into this change, surrendering to it. What kind of things could go right? What is the highest and best possible outcome? What if there are opportunities waiting around every corner and all I have to do is look for them and say yes? And so just as I'm reading these questions to you, do I feel this subtle micro relaxation happen in my own system where new possibilities and new opportunities are opening up and I feel my body magnetizing towards what it is that I want and away from what it is that I don't want. A really fun thing to do is to journal about those questions, but you can also just ask them in your mind as a way to give your mind the opportunity to focus and to visualize possibility and pleasure and power. The second jewel is a complaining cleanse. Now, before you shut the podcast off, because if you're like me, you hear things like maybe you should go on a complaining diet or you should stop complaining so much and your inner jaded New Yorker says, screw you, you don't know me, don't try to take away my feelings. But as someone who has recently done her own version of a complaining cleanse, I have some interesting findings to report. So how I see a cleanse as being different than a diet is that a diet is restriction with a specific goal of an outcome. A cleanse, I recently went on an elimination kind of cleanse where I removed a few things from my diet just to see how it would affect my digestion purposefully, intentionally removing something to get a real sense of, does this serve me? And if so, how does it serve me? And one of the most powerful things about doing this with complaining, I told my friends and family I was doing this and I I said, you know, if you catch me complaining, I'd really appreciate it if you would say bananas because that will give me the cue. Oh, that was just my code word. I don't know why it was bananas, but that was my cue. Like, oh, I'm doing it. I'm complaining because it's such a habitual thing. And here's what I discovered. When I removed complaining from my life, first of all, I was genuinely a lot happier because this anxious puppy of my mind that loves to chew on the bone of what's wrong didn't really have anywhere to go. And so just like an anxious puppy might, it eventually kind of circled and settled down and became less anxious. Secondly, what it forced me to do is develop new ways of communicating my frustrations and feelings. So people who tell you to stop complaining, to me that always felt like a bit of a spiritual bypass. And what I discovered is that by removing the filter of complaining, I could still have my thoughts and feelings, but I had to communicate them with an added level of vulnerability because I wasn't just going to explode them and exhaust them in a complaint. I had to really take responsibility for those feelings in word and action. And my mind started to find its way to new ways of communicating and new solutions to my problems when I didn't have that exhaust valve of complaining. So if that resonates for you or makes you feel curious, I highly recommend trying 
a 14 to 21 day complaining cleanse and journaling as you go. The third jewel in reorienting our bodies and our minds towards that of pleasure and possibility is one that you're probably very familiar with, which is visualization. And what I'd invite you to do is as an added way of integrating that visualization into your body more fully is to move that visual through your body. So it's very common knowledge that it's a powerful practice to visualize what it is that you want. But as I shared in the opening of the podcast, there is an added dimension of intelligence that occurs when you turn on music, and I recommend instrumental music, that is just what works best for me because it doesn't engage my cognitive mind as much, and hold that visual and interact with that visualization of what it is that you want and ask that visualization to move you. Move my body. Help me move as this visualization, as this desire fulfilled. Help me to send this desire fulfilled outside the field of my own body into the world. Help me to become a magnet for it. And there is just something so incredibly powerful when we take the visual out of just being a picture in the mind and create an anchor of felt sense in the body. The body knows things that the mind cannot comprehend. And that's true for intuition, that's true for hunches, but it's also true about moving you forward on the path towards your dreams. And finally, the fourth jewel is to celebrate incremental change. So here's the thing about change. Our conditioned mind loves big change. You know, you see this all the time. Lose 20 pounds in 12 weeks. You know, clear out your credit card debt in two months. You know, whatever it is. Our minds love big change because it means we get to stay protected and bypass the vulnerability of actually changing. I remember when I paid off my debt, I had about $20,000 in credit card debt when I first started my business and I paid it off using some, uh, you know, kind of extreme methods of getting cash, like cashing in my retirement fund and, you know, doing all these things because I just wanted the debt out of my life and wouldn't, you know... Just a few months later, I was back in $20,000 of credit card debt because I hadn't done the inner work. I had changed the symptom, but not the cause. Thankfully, I can say that that's a very different story for myself today. And one of the ways that that happened for me and can happen for you in any area of your life is to work with the nature of your system rather than against it. And so your system, and when I say your system, I mean the totality, the holistic nature of your body, your mind, your emotions, your spirit, all of which are expressed and really kind of governed by the the connection between the mind and the nervous system. And so your system, even if it's good change, really likes to stay within this window of tolerance. You know, I remember when I got published in a national publication when I was an esthetician back in my 20s, and I got featured in W Magazine as like one of New York's hottest new facialists. 
And at that time, I was deep in my eating disorder and really struggling with binge eating. And all the time I would think, God, if I could just, you know, get a feature or something like that. And then it happened. And I remember being so surprised that I had like one of the biggest binges of my life. Because once again, our system loves slow incremental change that it can handle. And even if it's good change, it will tend to have a pretty strong response. And sometimes that response is to engage in a behavior that will help your image of yourself remain small and limited. And for me, that was things like binge eating and racking up tens of thousands of dollars of debt. (laughs) And so a really simple way that you can work with the nature of your system, once again, is to notice your progress. So something I do at the end of the day sometimes is I will list all of the things that I've done that day and all of the things that I've done, quote unquote, right or well, or all of the things that I'm proud of. And this is especially useful on days where I have that tape running in my mind that I'm a piece of crap and I haven't done anything and I'm going nowhere. You know, those thoughts are part of our negativity bias where they bypass all the good and all the progress. And that sends a signal to my system, oh my gosh, look at me. I am actually making progress. And that momentum of progress makes change even more desirable. So my loves, I am envisioning you proud, excited, full of possibility, full of enthusiasm for what's to come as you practice and play with beginning to shift your bias more towards the positive and the pleasurable. If you feel called and qualified to book an embodiment audit, I look forward to speaking with you soon. Head over to schoolofsensualliving.com session. And thank you so much for listening. Ciao.